The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Slate's Trump Care Tracker, the show where we talk about the Republican plan to make sure that if you like your doctor, you won't be able to keep him. I'm Jordan Weissman, Slate's economics correspondent. And I'm Jim Newell. I cover Congress for Slate. Today, we're going to be talking a bit about Medicaid and the Senate GOP's new idea for slashing its budget over time that is, believe it or not, even more draconian than what the House came up with in their own bill. But first, we're going to start off with a little gossip on this show, a little speculation like we like to do. And it's going to deal with this question. Does Mitch McConnell actually give a shit about health care? Like, does Mitch McConnell actually care about the contents of this bill and what it might do to American health policy? I'm sort of wrestling this. Jim, I want you to start. What do you think the answer is? Yes or no? Uh, I think the answer is no. I mean, he's in the position of a leader, so he's not allowed to let his personal feelings about anything really overcome what could get 50 votes in the Senate. When we were talking about this last night, we were saying, what does Mitch McConnell care about? And it's something where I know what Mitch McConnell is good at, but I don't know what he cares about. There are certain constituent Kentucky-based things that he'll get pretty jazzed over, like um, clean power plans and getting rid of those and a lot of deregulatory things. But, you know, if you look at him, the way he's doing this process right now, I think he just wants it over with. So if in the next couple of weeks, he's still trying to get a vote on this health care bill by the 4th of July recess. If he can't get 50 votes on something, he's more than willing to give it up and just keep the agenda moving. He doesn't want to get mired down in something that's going to take a a year or more, you know, if they can't reach consensus and they keep grinding on it without getting anywhere. What do you think? My hunch is no. And I bring this up because right now it looks like he's really pushing to get this bill voted on before July 4th. Uh, recently Axios reported that he doesn't even necessarily care if he actually has 50 votes or not. He just wants the thing done, basically, so he can move on to tax reform. So presumably that's a little bit more of where his heart lies. I'm just having some trouble wrapping my head around the implications of having a Senate majority leader who is basically policy agnostic. Does anybody in the Republican Party right now really care about health care policy. It doesn't seem like anybody's really has a, a deep stake in this, except for maybe the hardcore conservatives. I can't tell. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think that explains the balance of power you see in this debate in the House or in the Senate. You know, every Republican ran on repealing and replacing Obamacare. But I think that the conservatives, the factions in either the House or the Senate, are the only ones who actually cared about it. So you see, you know, moderates who are just kind of looking for a balanced approach or something to soften what the hardcore right wants. But the right, you know, they've been serious about repealing Obamacare. So they're the ones who have the more coherent vision. And it's a meaner vision. I mean, it just gets rid of regulations, takes more federal funding out of out of healthcare in general. But they sort of are the ones who care most about this and are the ones who really want it passed. So they are defining the terms of the debate on either side. And I think that's why you're seeing, you know, the right sort of taking over especially in the House. And it's, it's looking, at least on Medicaid, like they're going to do the same in the Senate. You bring up a really good point there, which is that 
say what you will about the Freedom Caucus, right? <laughs> they have a very specific idea of what they would like healthcare in America to be. And it's a sort of free market fantasy to some extent. Nobody has really tried to implement, I think, the, the House Freedom Caucus's ideal vision of healthcare, which is just no regulations. Yeah, really. it's, it's no like, regulations. And yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, what if we got insurers out of the way entirely and you could barter chickens with your doctor or something and then those market yeah. forces would drive down prices everywhere. <laughs> they think that if you get insurers out of the way that everything will be cheaper and maybe it's a vision, but no one's going to go for that. The generous version of it, I think, is that, and just to be fair, is that they think that comprehensive health insurance, which is, you know, what we're kind of used to, it pays for almost everything or you... Uh, minor copay with it is actually excessive. And what instead we should have is sort of like catastrophic plans and then more stuff is paid for out of pocket, right? And then you'll get a real healthcare market, at least if you make prices transparent, and that'll drive down costs. And the closest analog in the world to that, you know, you'll sometimes hear brought up is maybe the Singapore system, but they have a real government mandated catastrophic plan. So that's not even quite what the House Republicans right, you, or a government provided. And that's not really what the Republicans even have in mind exactly. You saw in the Senate, I, it was Bill Cassidy and um, some other more moderate Republicans were talking about in this debate doing an auto enrollment, which is basically you would get universal catastrophic coverage. And the conservatives balked at that because they see that as a, uh, you know, a beachhead for single payer. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's they have this this really kind of purist free market vision of how healthcare should work. And so they're always driving towards that. That's what the Freedom Caucus was always edging towards. It's what Rand Paul in the Senate would, is always edging towards. And it seems like the moderates and the Senate leadership don't really have an ideal vision. And some people would say that's because, you know, Obamacare itself was supposed to be a moderate Republican version of healthcare, and we don't need to relitigate that. So yeah, you're right. It, it seems like the moderates only job here is to find something to soften or to be less charitable, just put a fig leaf on whatever it is the conservatives really want. Yeah, I mean, just look at the tax credits, you know, they have this idea. So Obamacare has advanceable, refundable tax credits for people to buy insurance based on income and geography. So the Republicans put forward a plan to do it based on age, and then they get the score back, and those tax credits aren't, you know, appropriate at all. You have people in their 50s or early 60s paying, if they're low income, paying more than half their income by the projections yeah. for insurance plans. So then they're saying, well, I think we need to add a geography and an income factor. So you're basically going to be offering tax credits in the same way that Obamacare does, just with lesser amounts of money. So it's a question of why did you go around for seven years saying that you thought Obamacare was a disaster in the first place if you're a moderate? Exactly. It's not where their heart is. Their heart is in cutting the corporate tax rate, or at least Mitch McConnell's is. Maybe rolling coal. He really wants to roll coal. Too. Yeah. I mean, he just, I don't know. He <laughs> wants everyone to have a nice plate of coal for dinner every night. On that note, I think let's switch over to talking a little bit about Medicaid. So as you're probably aware, the American Health Care Act, the House's health care bill, cut Medicaid in two major ways, really. Okay, first, it rolled back Obamacare's Medicaid expansion. And the Medicaid expansion, for those who are still a little bit rusty on it, basically said that able-bodied adults who made up to 138% of the poverty line could be eligible for Medicaid finally. And this was a big deal because in most states, if you were an adult, you, to get Medicaid, you typically had to be a parent or disabled. And if you were a parent, you had to be far below the poverty line in many places. So this really helped expand the population who could be covered by this program. And so a lot of the cuts, a lot of the $800 billion plus in cuts to Medicaid in the House plan came from rolling this back. But then it does a second thing. And it's also really, really important for kind of the, the future direction of the program. And it will have a lot to do with how generous Medicaid coverage can be. What the House did was 
it capped for the first time ever Medicaid's funding per patient. Right now, the way Medicaid funding works is it's jointly paid for by the federal government and by the states. And every patient that the states enrolls, the federal government will pay a set percentage of their health care costs, no matter how much they cost. The House bill would end that. And instead, they say, OK, you're going to get a set amount of money each year per patient. However, you can't just you know set that money and forget it because then eventually inflation would just totally eat away the value of Medicaid. So instead, what they do is they say, all right, we're going to let the program expand by a set amount each year. And the way the House did it was based on this thing called the Consumer Price Index for medical uh, expenses. And that measures basically out-of-pocket medical care, the, the medical expenses that you have to pay for yourself, that your insurer doesn't. And so that was going to kind of put a vice on Medicaid's budget to some degree because that's going to grow more slowly than Medicaid spending would otherwise, right? So that was going to shave off the CMS chief actuary said about $64 billion. Now, what's happened is the Senate is spending more money than the House elsewhere in its health care bill, or might be. We think they might be. And so they're looking for ways to balance that. And so they're now thinking about cutting Medicaid even more deeply using this per capita cap than the House did. And the way they're doing it is by using a different consumer price index, just the regular old consumer price index that also includes things like the cost of a television and how much that increases year to year. This sounds incredibly wonky and is really complicated, and I hope I'm not losing anybody. I wrote about this a little bit today. To give you a sense of how dramatic this, this difference is, the consumer price index for medical care grew by about 40 percentage points more since 2000 than the regular CPIU. So if it's attached to the CPIU, Medicaid spending is going to grow at just such a slower pace than it would under the House bill. And they want to do this starting in 2025. Jim, you, you've been talking to people a little bit about this. How do I wrap my head around this? Well, I think this is a really big deal. There was an editorial by uh, Mike Needham, who is the, the president of the conservative pressure group, uh, Heritage Action, and David McIntosh, who's the head of Club for Growth. And they were saying this is one of their primary goals in the Senate, that they should ratchet down this inflation measure. And if you look at it more broadly I mean, on so-called entitlement reform, Republicans pretty much have one idea. They want to cap the federal government's contribution to something and have that grow at a lower rate than it's projected to already. And then as time goes on, the savings get bigger and bigger and accrue and accrue. In Paul Ryan's A Better Way agenda, they had the same plan for Medicaid, and they set it at CPIU, which is the one the Senate's considering now. In Trump's budget request, the one that came out a couple weeks ago, they also wanted to move to this lower rate of inflation. And by their projection, that budget, that was $610 billion in savings, or you can call them Medicaid cuts, projected. So this is huge amounts of money, and I think it shows where the balance is shifting because one of the mysteries in the Senate has been they want to spend more money to fight opioid abuse. They want better tax credits, more expensive tax credits. They want to put some money into the into the big plan to stabilize the markets over the next couple of years. So what are they going to do? Are they going to keep some of the Obamacare taxes to pay for all this new money or are they going to find the savings elsewhere? And if you look at this now, it looks like they're going to go to a very low rate of inflation compared to projected spending to get their money in the long term there. And that would be a pretty big blow for moderates. And I don't understand why they would go for it. You know, part of me wonders if the reason they're willing to go for it is because, once again, it's one of those changes that's hard to see, right? Like, there are two right. things here. First, they've said they want to start it in 2025. So they're kicking the can down the road a while. But second, 
you have to think about the way the per capita cap affects Medicaid, right? By rolling back the Medicaid expansion, Republicans are just kicking people off their health care, right? You see that in the coverage numbers. And so that looks really bad. The CBO says this many people are going to lose their health care or this many fewer people are going to have health care because you did this. With the per capita cap, what happens is a little bit more subtle because the funding is still doled out per patient. So there's no it doesn't really create an incentive to kick people off Medicaid. I mean, there, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, it doesn't. Instead, what it does is it creates incentives for states to make the insurance shittier, <laughs> basically right. just have it cover less and to pay doctors less. So fewer doctors will take it. And so in kind of the perverse political logic of someone like Mitch McConnell or a, quote, moderate Republican, that might make it a preferable policy because it's not just kicking people off. It's just making sure that they don't have prescription drug coverage on their Medicaid. And so it's people are less likely to notice that. Right. What it does basically and why it's so appealing to conservatives who want to lower the federal government's role is it, it kicks the tough decisions to the states. States are not going to get as much money as they would under current law. In Republican lingo, they say this will force states to create efficiencies and innovate and come up with new ways to do more with less. The states and hospitals or anyone who expects a certain amount of money to come in do not see it that way. They'll see it as we have to trim benefits. There are going to be you know much fewer services allowed. So, I mean, I guess that is innovation because you are not going to have as many services available. There's one other element. I wonder if it's at play here. So they're doing this after 2025, right? So most of the effect you would see from this actually happens outside of the normal budget window. Right. And so the CBO wouldn't even necessarily score all of this. I wonder if actually, and, and this is for people who are like, for listeners who are really deep into the procedural minutia of what's going on in the Senate right now. But I, I kind of wonder if the reason they're tacking this on is basically to deal with the out-year budget effects of this bill. So in that case, it's it's extra hidden. It's not even something that you're going to see on the CBO score. It's just something that it will be coming down the pike and it serves their procedural purposes now, but it's kind of shrouded from public view. Right, because there has to be deficit reduction in the out years, i.e. beyond the 10-year budget window. So in the 11th year, the 12th year, the 13th year, there have to be overall deficit reductions in those years. Otherwise, it can't pass through reconciliation with 50 votes. So this is some way where they're looking at the long-term way to get this plan passed under the you know, Senate rules, the fast-track procedure they're using. So on that happy note, I want to move on to the final segment of the show, which, again, we call Is This Shit Really Happening?, where uh, we each guess, do we think that Republicans will pass health care reform and what are we willing to bet on it? Jim, you go first. Do you think this shit is really happening? I do think they're going to pass it just because it appears like they've reached a compromise on Medicaid. I am still not super positive and not willing to go on a limb, so I will bet that they pass it a gifted copy of the worst movie that appears before me on iTunes right now, which is the Power Rangers movie. I am also willing to bet that this is going to happen. I'm actually a little less certain than I was last time. It seems like there's more whispers I'm seeing online about Republicans kind of maybe balking and McConnell saying he's willing to vote whether or not he has the 50. So I'm going to say... I would bet the President Obama bobblehead doll I got in Hawaii where he's playing a ukulele because it's a, a charming keepsake that I would be sad to see go, but would not be That's devastated. a precious collector's item. 
I'll see how my wife feels about me betting that. Yeah. So on that note, we're going to bring this episode to a close. Thank you for tuning into the Trump Care Tracker. If you want to email us with comments or questions, please hit us up at trumpcaretracker at slate.com. And please, 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 if you like the show, give us a review at the iTunes store. Uh, we very much appreciate it. It helps us get more listeners. Our producer on the show is the lovely and talented June Thomas. Jim, uh, it was nice chatting with you. Yeah, good chatting with you. See you again on Wednesday. See you Wednesday.